You're listening to Pacific Post-Ups, an NBA podcast covering the Pacific Division, with your hosts, Lewis Dade and Nick Boylan. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome in to a Tuesday edition of the Pacific Post-Ups. Nick, it was a, another little scare for your Warriors against uh, the Houston Rockets today, but you guys see, keep to see, seem to keep finding a way to pull these ones out of the hat. Yeah, it was uh, a short, short turnaround between pods. This is looking like it'll hopefully be a, a locked in a regular time, though I think every time we say that, something it'll, it'll usually come up, but that's the, the magic of podcasting and, and scheduling. But um bit of return to structure and I'm heading back to school and then I've actually got a time table, which would be nice. And yeah, Tuesday time, our time for pods is looking pretty all right, but short turnaround, yes. And um, the, the Warriors were, had an interesting game against Houston. I think that um, quite often you'll sort of look at the younger teams and sort of see where their records are at and you, know, you could probably get sort of looking too much at the win-loss column and not understanding like exactly how I mean, plucky is the best way sometimes to describe these teams, how well they can play um, and really give a lot of teams an issue, particularly with the, the young players that they've got uh, on that roster and particularly in some positional uh, advantages uh, in the front court um, that Houston have. But um, it was another close win um, for the Warriors. They did, they did what they needed to do uh, in the end, uh, but it was an interesting one for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and and perhaps more important than anything from the win perspective was um, Steph looked the best he's looked in quite a while now, I think, Um, safe to say. Uh, Did you notice anything different from Steph, or or was it just a matter of he he just finally found his hot touch again? Well, probably helped that Kevin Porter decided to poke the bear a bit, Um, and then I think you said afterwards that I wasn't, you know, wasn't doing any smack talking, but I was like, Nah, come mate. Uh, <laughs> made a bit, a, a bit of a point to do that a couple of times um, against Steph, and then Steph turned around and went back and you know really put him in the action and, and tried to go at him. And um, yeah, I think that he started. He, he was getting some some better looks, but also those better looks had been available for him um, during the slump, and they were just starting to knock down. It was really, um, which has been, I think a good thing over the last few games, he's been prepared to attack the mid range a little bit more. Um, I think that's been really important for him to start, get some, you know, not just try to make life hard by going to the rim and, uh, and burrowing through contact, which he's shown, uh, you know, increased capability to do, um, or, um, continue to shoot away from three, but yeah, just being able to get into sort of that mid range space, create some separation, um, which Steph does so well, um, was really important. I think particularly late, and but then also just you know attacking guys off the dribble, pulling up for three. Um, it just seemed like a much more fluid game. I think for Steph, and you know, he really looked like he was hunting things um, a lot more, um, which was really impressive to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's made an emphasis on really upping the amount of threes he's taken this year. Mm. Uh, but perhaps at times that steered him away from the path of what has made him such a good, consistent player, uh, you know, over a long career now, which he's been able to be a three-level scorer. Um, 
something that a lot of people don't often focus on with those Warriors teams making finals runs is yes, they were the Splash Brothers and everyone associates it with three-point shooting, but Steph and Clay both did a lot of damage from the mid-range um, over those runs. So anytime you yep. can see him kind of get into that shot, which we know will be more available in the playoffs perhaps and some of the threes as well, um, always good to see. The uh, the other game worth touching on is they did beat the, uh, the shorthanded Nets in a, a classic duel between Steph and Kyrie. Um, there was some refereeing controversy. Nick, what did you make of that game? Yeah, I think that there was a, a particular call. It, it is frustrating, um, I think, when le- the league has made such a, uh, a focus on taking away that initiation of contact um, into getting some really dubious and unnatural uh, shooting foul calls. Uh, and one was called against Kessler Edwards, um, who I thought was really impressive. Um, in defending um, Stafford and just his overall play, particularly defensively, missed a lot of shots. Um, but I think Nick and Jack will appreciate um, me shouting out Kessler Edwards because I think yeah, he's been super impressive for Brooklyn. But um, yeah, Steph did initiate that contact and it was in a really unnatural way. Um, I would have been fine if it was just a no call um, and they did call it. And then they're obviously um, super late in the game. The call against Kyrie Irving uh, where the ball was inbounded and Kyrie was behind Clay and sort of um, was involved in sort of Clay hitting the floor. And because that was a, before the play commenced, it it meant that um, it was a free throw and possession as well, which effectively closed the game out um, for the Warriors, despite a, a really crazy Kyrie three in a, eerily similar position um, on a slightly different floor um, in that neck of the woods. But anytime you see Kyrie on the right, I just, you know, it's like a PTSD um, all over again, I think for myself and a lot of other Warriors fans, but um, you know, that's also on Steve Nash, something that Jackman will be very, uh, it was very strong in talking about on the buzz um, um, after that game. And I do agree with him, you know, the challenges that are there to use and, you got to use them. So that's, you know, that's some, that's some stuff they need to work out with Steve Nash, who uh, I would, I would suggest is on a, a rapidly warming seat, I think in Brooklyn, depending on what happens for the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, it, it seemed to be a, a bit of the whole game, I think was a bit of a return to form for the Splash Brothers. Um, a couple of their better performances really, um, particularly from Clay late, um, didn't have his best shooting night overall, but when the game was on the line, that was, Certainly um, a refreshing sight to see that, you know, Clay's been slowly working back into things in terms of, um, you know, his, his minutes load and how much he's playing as, as well down the stretch. And uh, seeing him uh, perform in that stage of the game was really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is, you know, an example again of the two-pronged offensive threat that those two pose, particularly down the stretch of games, um, not to mention other guys that the Warriors can now kind of toggle between whether that's a Jordan Paul, um, whether that's an Andrew Wiggins, uh, who's certainly been kind of flexing his uh, self-creation muscles a bit more recently, um, yep. or, or whether that's just, you know, your extra role players out there, your, your Bialitas or your Otto Porters. So it, the the defensive stretch that that causes, having two players like Stefan Clay at their best out there for the opposition is really difficult. Um, you know, no doubt the Warriors will be happy to escape this one um, with the win. I think they yep. were the better team. Um, things just got a little bit tense down the uh, the end there. And of course, if you do want to listen to that one from the Brooklyn perspective, we'd both encourage you to check out 
the Brooklyn Buzz. Those guys do a great job covering all things Nets. Um, moving on to the Suns, who it's really just all positive out of Phoenix. Um, I, I, think, <laughs> yep. I think Woj retweeted something uh, a few days ago now about the Suns' record this year, and they've just been tremendous. Uh, it's now what I believe to be their 10th win in a row. Um and 40 wins total already uh, with a close one over San Antonio. Chris Paul finished uh, one assist shy of a 2020 game, continuing to remind everyone over and over again that he's got a lot of basketball left in his legs. Um, they won a really good game against Minnesota. And uh, perhaps most important news this week was Monty Williams was well-deservedly named the all-star coach. Yep. Uh, now, you know, there wasn't really, I don't think, much contention as far as who that could have gone to now that Phoenix has started a pull apart in uh in the west there but it, other than positivity smiles and sunshine is there anything to talk about in the phoenix camping i mean they're, they're just finding ways to win and i think that what's really important as well that they're, they're finding ways to win when they're behind in games as well i think which is really impressive for them um from a variety of sources i thought Mikael bridges had one of his better sort of offensive games um against san antonio and was really important uh, in closing that game out uh, Cam Johnson started to find a little bit more form, I think, in the last week. Um, had a couple of really uh, impressive games, 23 points against the T-Wolves. And then you've just got Booker doing his thing. And I think Chris Paul's really starting to move into the gears um, as, he, as the season's gone on, particularly from a, a scoring output. And, you know, the, the playmaking still excellent. You know, one assist shy, of a, assist shy of a 2020 game is nothing to sniff at. Um, but, you know, Still scoring incredibly important buckets down the clutch, you know, down the stretch, and in clutch moments of a game. It's just, you know, there's um, um, big bad um, in the first bit of the MCU said, uh, you know, Thanos said he's inevitable, and that's kind of how the Phoenix Suns feel at the moment, sort of driving through this season. That this, they're going to get you. Um, they'll have these ma- massive, you know, as much as Golden State pioneered or I guess made a signature of their big sort of third quarter bursts. Phoenix have done a lot of that this season. It can really put teams to the sword when everything's rolling, um, whether that's Booker going, Johnson, um, Paul initiating the offense the offense, and really getting someone like Bismack Biombo involved as well. Um, they're just... They're just cruising, and they're getting different contributions from a from a few different places. You know, the, the the big thing is that they've been doing a lot of this without DeAndre Ayton, and uh, they're getting um, a really good sort of center by uh, center by committee production from uh, you know a smaller ball big who I'll talk a lot about a little bit later. But you know, um, with Jalen Smith, um, Val McGee, and Bismack Biombo, depending on you know who's got it on the night, um, they're finding a way to get some front court production. Yeah, absolutely, and they're putting themselves in a really good position now. That if they keep this speed up and can get a you know a five game lead or something on the Warriors, and they might be able to do a bit of selecting selective resting in the last you know three four yep. weeks of the season, um, which for probably Chris Paul more than anything. But you know, hey, DeAndre Ayton's kind of struggled with uh, with injuries a little bit this year. Um, you know, you've got to be mindful of the load you have to put on Devin Booker in the playoffs. So they're just shaping up really nicely, and and obviously it goes without saying that uh, that Monty Williams has done a fantastic job again over there and is deserving all the accolades that are coming his way. I think he missed out on coach of the year last year to Tom Thibodeau, um, if I'm correct in remembering. And I think yep. that you will likely see he's a good chance to pick up that award this year if the Phoenix uh, Suns keep that rate up. Yep. A team that I am interested to talk to you about um, is, the, is the Clippers who are continuing mm. their uh, perpetual run of floating. 
Um, <laughs> yep. They're in the middle of what I believe is a pretty long road trip now. Um, mm. They uh, they did lose to Indiana today. I mean, they've actually had two really good high scoring games with this year. Um, interestingly enough, uh, you know, obviously shout out to Isaiah Jackson who had a career high twenty six points for the Pacers. Uh, they did shoot poorly. Morrison Kennard struggled. Uh, Coffey continued his run with 27 points. And Reggie Jackson had 21. Um, did you make much of that game in, uh, in Indiana or was it uh, just a matter of uh, not getting it done on the defensive end? I mean, the, the Morrison Kennard, you know, if they have a bad shooting night, they're not going to win a lot of games, um, particularly with how well Kennard's been playing of late. Um, and then Morris coming back in there, if he's, you know, shooting that poorly, I think he was two of 12 um, from the floor. It's just, it's, it's not really going to happen. Um, from the Clippers, particularly when you've you've got George still out and obviously no Kawhi, it puts a lot of pressure. Probably the one thing that I noticed about that game, I think particularly early on as well, um, you know, Serge Ibaka did have a double-double um, in, in his start um, with um, no Zubats available. Um, the double-double's great and you scored all right, but I think particularly noticeable was the defensive struggles. Yes, he had a couple of okay blocks, um, you know, helping over from the weak side. That's fine. But Indiana put him in a lot of action and he, and Jackson had early, the, the, the part of his 26 points, I think he might've had eight points in the first quarter and really got after surge with his athleticism and quickness. Um, you know, he, Jackson was someone who really impressed me against the Warriors um, and he's kind of snuck under the radar a little bit, obviously with the Pacers team that's struggling, but he's someone who's got quite a few different little um, talents in a few different areas. And he gave Serge a lot of problems. And I think that sort of highlights the the front court situation a little bit for the Clippers at the moment in how Hartenstein's kind of gone past Serge um, a little bit, although Isaiah started on the, on the bench today, um, didn't have his best game, but I still think he's a better playing big at the moment um, over Serge. It, it makes things really interesting with what they're going to do there. I mean, we'll talk about sort of the trade situation that um, the reports have come out um, regarding um, a Barker and a few other players, but it, it it is a little bit concerning about what the Clippers are going to do going forward. Um, I think with that front court situation, you know, are you content with Zubats and Hartenstein um, as your two bigs? I'm not a hundred percent sure um, if that is something that they are really hundred percent on. Yeah, and look, uh, to a certain extent, uh, while he might be on the trade block, I do think that Ty Lue always considers to be Marcus Morris an option as a big, quote-unquote big, because he can yep. go to that in his small lineups. I mean, you, you touched on Serge's, let's just say, lack of low mobility a little bit at this point. Um, mm. He was struggling with that a little bit in his last year in Toronto. They were just playing him in a pretty aggressive drop uh, and surrounded by a bunch of other you know, high-level defensive talent, Lowry and Siakam and Ananobi and these kind of guys that, Gasol, even at that point, was still a wise defender. Um, you know, it, it did paper over some cracks, um, but it's been, what, a couple of years and a, a stack of injuries since then. Um, and I think in this pace and space kind of era, he's just going to get bought into a ton of actions. Um, and I don't know how playable that makes him in the playoffs. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, it, it's difficult because you can't really switch with him, which is weird because he was one of the better switch defenders when he was younger. Um, and you play him in a drop and he's probably just going to get abused. So it's a tough look. I mean, he's still definitely playable in the regular season. You can find minutes for guys like this. Um, but I, I do wonder if his time in LA is coming to an end, whether it's at the deadline or uh, whether it's at the end of the season when I believe his contract expires. So hmm. um, they did beat Charlotte by 25 
points, uh, keeping the league leaders in points to 90. Uh, Reggie Jackson had 19. Brandon Boston had 19. 21 really minutes off the bench. Yeah. Yep. We're, the Pacific post-ups is very pro BJ Boston. Um, Winslow had 13, eight boards and three blocks. We'll touch on them a little bit later. But, you know, it, it's funny because it, you start to wonder if Kawhi and PG aren't coming back, what is there to make of this year for the Clippers? Mm. You know, and it, really it's about trying to figure out who are the guys that you want around Kawhi and PG, whether that's uh, after the deadline or whether that's next year, depending on how their health progresses. Uh, but Brandon Boston has been another guy that showed enough glimpses that uh, if it is at some point determined that their two superstars won't be coming back for the playoffs, I'd be pumping minutes into him as much as he possibly can uh, because he's a guy that I think could really grow and develop into a into a contributor. Obviously, Reggie Jackson's likely to stay around given his relationship with Paul George, um, but I'd certainly want to keep an eye on. They also did lose to Miami, 114 to 121. Uh, that was in Miami. Um, Canard went for 23 points off the bench. Uh, they did cut a 24-point lead late down to sixth in the fourth, but Miami just had the better clutch play. Um, before we touch on some trade rumours from Kevin O'Connor, you know, that that kind of East Coast swing, it's it's almost wrapped up now. Um, I think this team will be happy to spend a bit of time on the West Coast and, and mm-hmm. hopefully try to just push above the Lakers in that little playoff battle. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one for the Clippers. I mean, you, you sort of touch on the situation where they're going to – it's almost just having a bit of a, I don't know, a free, potentially a free swing at the back end of the year to sort of assess who are the complementary pieces that they are wanting to keep and the ones they're not. And the, the Clippers bench has been really good in getting them back in, in games. You know, they tried to sort of do it again against Miami, but, you know, Miami um, are a slightly better basketball team than the Washington Wizards. And they're just – they're getting a lot of energy out of their bench and Tyloo is pretty happy to just to pull the group. I'm not, that's the interesting part is just that, are they going to remix the starting lineup a little bit more? I mean, Amir Coffey's gone in there and given a bit of an, an influx of energy, obviously had, yeah, as you mentioned, Lou, another 27 point night against Indiana um, today. So I'm not sure if they're going to make any changes to try to put a couple of different guys in that starting group to, to change things around a little bit. Um, I'm not sure who you might want to move in there. Is you know Luke Kennard? Are they going to move him from a six-man role? I'd be surprised if they did because he's you know I think very well suited to that position. Um, Terrence Mann sort of seen some bumps in minutes and then also some you know decreasing in, in minutes, particularly with Morris back. It's um it's an interesting one because quite often it's the Clippers bench getting you back into games, but you're you're constantly chasing a game from the start. Um and you know. Against some poorer teams, you can kind of do that. Um, but, you know, as you saw sort of against Miami, that, you know, if you're setting up a, a target that's too much to chase down, better teams like that aren't going to let you um, get over the top of them. So, I don't know, how, how do you sort of see that um, rotation situation for Ty Lu? It's tough. Um, you know, Ty Lu's been put in that spot now where obviously he got bought in under the idea that he was going to be coaching a contender and, and how you can't control injuries. But, this is not really his wheelhouse uh, as a coach. It doesn't mean that he's doing a bad job of it. He's actually done a pretty good job this year. Um, but I think this is where Tyloo, to a certain extent, has to lean on his front office and his staff around him um, to help him out with this side of things because you know he needs to be gearing up for when this team is healthy with Kawhi and PG. Um, and at the moment, I think he's just in this difficult spot where there's no incentive to tank. 
Um, mm. And at the moment, it, it feels like when they are winning, it, it's it's only just trying to keep them afloat. And, and you know, as we've made clear, the minutes, the guys that are getting minutes now aren't necessarily going to be the guys that are be getting minutes when the other two are back. So it's a tough spot for for Ty Lue to be in. But you know, you can only hope that at this point given how much experience he's got in the league, that he's got enough people to lean on within that Clippers organization. Yeah, that's, uh, I reckon that's got to be it. Uh, moving things over to the other side of Staples Center, Lou. Uh, oh, actually, no, we need to just quickly touch on some trade reports. I think it'd be important to sort of go on that. Um, as you did mention, there are some reports from Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer um, that have Name some interesting targets uh, for the Clippers, uh, particularly looking at some point guards. Um, KOC mentioned guys like Jalen Brunson, Kemba Walker, John Wall, Dennis Schroeder, Goran Dragic, and Spencer Dinwiddie, while mentioning that uh, Morris Bledsoe and Abaka are all on the block. Um, what do you make of these reports, Lou? Um, they're, they're quite interesting, I think, particularly with some of the names, obviously, um, that would lead to you, you thinking that the Clippers have maybe have got their eye um, on a postseason push and an eye on their stars coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I listened to this this podcast. I think it was uh, Kevin O'Connor and, and Bill Simmons. Um, firstly, uh, shout out to shout out to Bill Simmons for suggesting that perhaps Australian basketballers decline quicker due to quote unquote physical games of pickup basketball in Australia. Um, I can think of several reasons that Australian men might have injuries later in life, but it's guaranteed it's not physical pickup basketball. Um, might be something else to do with some of the other sports we play down here. But look, I think the comment was Jalen Brunson's price tag's probably a little yeah. high for what the Clippers have to offer. I mean, if they can get Jalen Brunson pretty much without Kawhi or Paul George, I think you go and do it. I just don't see how it happens because, as we know, they don't have many picks to give up. No. Um, you know, Goran Dragic is expiring at the end of this year. I think you'd only trade for him if you understood, A, what he'd expect to come back and B, uh, if he's willing to come back, you know, you wouldn't want to trade for him and then someone else comes in with a bigger offer. Um, I don't have a lot of interest in, in Kemba Walker or Dennis Schroeder for these teams. Um, having seen both of them a fair bit over the last couple of years, I don't think it fits great there. John Wall and Spencer Dinwiddie are guys that interest me potentially yep. going forward. Um, I'll touch on John Wall a little bit later um, as for a, another Pacific team, but he's someone that, uh, certainly, I think you could trade for him now. The issue is he isn't, you know, he, he, the role he will play on this Clippers team isn't the role he would play on the, the contending version of the Clippers team. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie's the one I, I'm really quite interested in, Nick. Do you think the Clippers have got what it takes to get that package done? I mean, I'm not sure. Like Marcus Morris heading back the other way, I'm not sure how he fits into things in, in Washington with um, Kyle Kuzma. Yeah. Rui Hachimura and Denny Adia. So I'm, I'm not really sure how things sort of fit into that. I'm not sure where he gets a, a spot um, as much. Um, otherwise, I think he's a, you know, sort of the makeshift that would get that done because I'm not exactly sure how much interest that Washington would have in an Eric Bledsoe or a Serge Barker. Um, but as a player, I think Dinwiddie would be quite useful. Um it hasn't really worked for him in Washington um, so far and is potentially a very quick scene change could be necessary. Um, I kind of like him as a a third maybe scorer um, alongside Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. However, I feel like I've got a, a fair bit of evidence um, in Brooklyn 
where he didn't fit that well with KD and Kyrie. So I'm not 100% sure how that would go. Obviously, different situations, but they're two guys who had the ball in their hand a lot um, and very similar um, to the Clippers. That It's kind of the thing about having a point guard for the Clippers that you kind of need someone to get things done during the regular season and a large chunk of the games. But the reality is the end of the game is going to be a lot of Paul George and a lot of Kawhi Leonard. So I'm not really sure how he would fit in um, potentially. But, but, but the skills that he, that he provides, both as a facilitator and a, and a scorer, I think are, would be useful um, for the Clippers for sure. Yeah, I think the the name that interests me that didn't come up here is Ricky Rubio um, mm. as a guy that we, we actually touched on him last year as a potential trade target for the Clippers. But yep. it's a it's a classic table setter that I think the Clippers might need someone that can get them into their actions and then get out the way, which is kind of what they wanted Rajon Rondo to be. He just wasn't quite there. Um, we know obviously the Cavs are looking to push some chips in already this year. I don't know what interests them. I mean, Bledsoe isn't a great fit there necessarily, but you could talk me into it a little bit. I don't think Morris or Barker have much interest to in them, um, but perhaps the Cavs would have some interest in a, in a Luke Kennard or someone like that. They might want to take a, a shot at someone like a, a Keon Johnson, um, but the Clippers, it's hard to tell. They could be sellers. They could be buyers. Um, it's going to be a very interesting trade deadline. And it'll be interesting to see if they do much at all. Um, you did talk about going across the, the hall at the Staples Center. Um, it's been it's been a tough ride as well in LA the last couple of games. Uh, they had a nationally televised game against Charlotte with no LeBron and no uh, AD. And that game was, was ugly. Um, despite the fact that the end scoreline looked pretty good. Uh, you know, Russell Westbrook picked up in the second half um, with 30 of his 35 points coming in the second half. He had a chance at the game winner, but it didn't go down. Um, Melo had 19. They leaned on him a bit early when the offense just had nothing yep. going. They knew they could just kind of dump the ball down to him. Um, and 16 points from Austin Reeves, who was probably the shining light out of that game for me. It is abundantly clear, and look, the supporting cast was pretty average, but that game just gave us an insight for any team that's looking to trade for Russell Westbrook to be the guy. But I think that it's going to be a struggle at times offensively at this point in his career. I don't think he's at that OKC point where you just stick him between a bunch of shooters and defenders. Um, but yeah, that was a it was a tough game to watch. Although it was nice to see Westbrook find some find some heat as well as uh, some extra run for Austin Reeves. Yeah, I think Reeves has been a really important player off the bench for the Lakers. Um, I went a bit hard on him pretty early in the in the season, um, and then he sort of dropped out of the rotation a little bit, but he sort of found his way back, and he's been a really important part. Um, I think providing a lot of energy, works his ass off on the defensive end. He's a really good defender, um, actually, um, both in terms of a point of attack defender and, 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 and in Frank Vogel's system, I think, as well. Um, it's quite rangy. He's a bit bigger than you think he is. Um, and the three-point shot isn't the most consistent in the world, but it, you know decent enough to keep you to keep uh, opposition defenders honest. So I think he's been yeah a really handy player for the for the Lakers secondary unit. The Westbrook one was yeah it was interesting. I mean, obviously exploded well, played played really well in the second half. You know, give no, give nothing away from him. He was taking some you know pull up threes, and I was like, okay, this could be one of those games for us where he really sort of just puts the team on his back a little bit. The last shot wasn't great. That wasn't the shot to take. Um, and I'm pretty sure they worked in a, a screen and got... A, I can't remember who was defending him on that last position, but it ended up getting a better defender on him, which didn't really work out. Um, I think he might have got ter- 
might have got Terry Rosier off him um, and then got oh, – that's going to really annoy me now. Anyway. Is it, um, is it Martin? Is it Martin or I think it, it might have been Martin, um, and yeah. I'd much rather go against Terry Rosier. Um, so it was a bit of a shame. Um, it didn't go for a slightly better look. Um, certainly an entertaining game. Um, but, yeah, it is a tricky one um, with – when you when you're missing um, the other two guys, and you, you're right, it is an indication that just at this stage of things that yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure that yeah that a team sort of looking for yeah for Russ to be there, the lead um, on their team is going to you know get a repeat of a MVP campaign that we saw in OKC. So um, an interesting game, but also um, they did get AD back against Atlanta. Um, still no LeBron, um, which is a little concerning, not going to lie. That's something that sort of popped up as general swelling and he's missed three games. And uh, comments from Frank Vogel uh, certainly indicated that he would not be, potentially not be back for the game after that. So, um, but yeah, 129 to 129 against the Hawks, Lou. Um, Malik Monk dropped a season high 33 points. was really terrific um, and helped get that game, you know, decently close down the stretch, but you know, Trey's 36 points and some really clutch deep threes late were just a little bit too much. Uh, 27 points for AD, 20 and 12 and 7 um, for Russ. Um, what did you make of the Lakers' performance against the Hawks? Yeah, look, it's tough because the Hawks are surging. Like They're, they're not the team that uh, is you know sitting, I think, just inside the play-in race now in the East. Um, they're a lot better than that. So it isn't as much shame to lose it to Atlanta as it might have been three months ago. Yeah, um, but at the at the end of the day, the the Lakers are, are slipping, um, and these are all games that we saw this a bit last year. That the more games they lose when LeBron is out, the harder he'll have to work when he comes back. Correct. The more likely that will be that he has to play long minutes, or or potentially, you know, put himself at risk of doing another injury. Um, you know, you, you touched on Malik Monk. He has been. He's certainly outplayed his contract value this year. Um, He's, a, he's been a shining light. And obviously seeing Anthony Davis get back out there pretty quick um, after hurting himself against Philadelphia was good to see because we know that injuries can linger with him. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately now at 24 and 27, the, the good signs, good effort stuff is, is no longer kind of encouraging unless it's against a real top-tier team and then maybe you, you take it and you move on. Uh, but yeah, they should, they've still got a fair buffer against teams like the Trailblazers, Spurs, the Pelicans. Um, but you know that that buffer can dis- uh, disappear, and more importantly, the Clippers and the Timberwolves now have a chance to kind of break away from the Lakers as well. So, a little bit concerning for me in LA. Do you have any uh, any kind of idea on how they might turn this around before LeBron comes back? Well, that's the tough one. It's just it's been you know a very similar story that we've seen all year. There's just that the continuity for this team has been horrific um, in getting not only their three players, uh, three star players to get to play together, but also working with the rest of the supporting cast and see what it look all looks like together. You know, every time it feels like they're all going to be healthy, you know, and then someone's out. Um, you know, if, if LeBron's not playing, then you know, AD's in. But then if LeBron, you know, like, and it's just. It's a tough one because you're just losing time at trying to work out your identity. And then that the timeline of that doesn't really fit in as well with the, the, the trade deadline because then you're looking at like sort of flipping guys out. But it's like, oh, maybe if they're going to work together, do we have time to work this out? And the answer is kind of no. Um, you know, if it hasn't been working out with certain players, and I think, you know, someone like a Kent Bazemore will probably be on the way out despite having 13 points um, against uh, the Hawks. It's just... 
it, it's a really, really, really tough one um, for the Lakers. I think they've been doing an okay job with what they've got, but at the same time, a lot of these new faces haven't really worked out. I mean, the only really plus, you know, sort of ticks you could probably, I think, slot in would be Monk, Stanley Johnson, who finally got converted to a, um, you know, off a 10-day contract and a, and a permanent deal, which is um, awesome news for him. Um, I mean, who else are you giving ticks to? It'd be Malik Monk, Stanley Johnson, um, Austin Reeves has come in there and done a really good job. I'm struggling to think of another player who they're, I mean, Mello to a degree, I think um, has certainly bailed them out of a lot of games um, with his scoring efforts. But at the same time, it's, he's probably been thrust into a much larger role than I think the Lakers needed. Um, and yeah, anyone else you're giving a dig to? It's tough. I mean, it's probably just a flat pass mark for a guy like Dwight Howard, who's been neither good nor bad. Hmm. That's probably it. It's, it's really grim. Um, you know, that DeAndre Jordan signing looks pretty bad at this point in time. Mm. Um, you know, he was one of the reasons they struggled early against the Hornets. You know, you got, you're running out Avery Bradley and Trevor Ariza that just look over the hill at this point. Um, you know, it's, it's concerning. Um, there's not a, not a ton of positive moves that were made in this offseason. Um, and when you consider how almost all the guys that have now left that system are somewhat flourishing in, in a variety of new roles, uh, you know, it, it looks pretty. What they would give to just have a, even just a KCP back, let alone a, a Caruso or a Kuzma. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty concerning at the moment in LA. Um, moving over to an equally, if not more, concerning situation, and uh, that is the well of despair that is the Sacramento Kings. Um, we'll touch on a positive before we go to any of the negatives, and that was despite a 101-103 loss in Philadelphia, uh, Tyrese Halliburton went for... 38. Uh, game high, career high. Um, and he looked really good against a Philadelphia team that's a pretty stout defense. Um, if there's been one question mark around his game, it's can he be a high volume scorer? Um, because we know he does all of that in between stuff so well. Uh, but he's looked really good and, and he's certainly the future building block for, for mine. Is there anything you saw out of that game from Halliburton that uh, really stuck out to you, Nick? The sidestep three is turning into one of the, the more bookable shots I think I've ever seen in the NBA. Every time he takes one, doesn't matter how weird it looks, I'm like, that's probably going in. And a couple of massive ones like punctuated by the, I think it was about 11 or 12 seconds left on the clock and he was almost going into, you know, the camera crew um, behind the behind the basket and the photographers there. He was going that far um, with the sidestep corner three um, and just gave him a bit of hope. So... He's had, Tyrese had a couple of frustrating games um, in, in a couple of those bad losses um, that the Kings had, but, you know, that sort of scoring output on display, particularly considering that, you know, Philadelphia have got some pretty handy point-of-attack defenders. Um, and, yeah, I think that he was super-duper impressive. It's just – it is interesting to sort of – every time we sort of see these games from Tyrese, I think that, that sort of – the jungle drums for De'Aaron Fox getting traded sort of grow louder and then they, he'll, he'll come back and have a half-decent game and then the drums will go quiet again. And it's it's kind of that sort of ebb and flow of what Sacramento were going to do. And I think that's sort of like a perfect sort of snapshot um, of some of their off-season moves and, you know, personnel moves that they've made probably in the last five or six years where they're sort of sitting on the fence a little bit, not really going one way or the other. Um, 
Like, I'm still pretty strong on the fact they should be trading Fox and going hard on a rebuild, but um, or at least making some kind of large move, not just a, some middling moves. Um, but no, I think we're starting to get enough evidence from Tyrese Halliburton that he's got it. It's just depending on what they want to put around him. Um, are they super keen on playing him and Fox together and trading everybody else? It's That's the hard one at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. The Sacramento front office has been pretty hesitant so far to make moves. Um, that's we'll, we'll brush aside a disappointing loss today to the Knicks 96-1 at 19 to focus on these reports from Woj that said Sacramento are now out of the Ben Simmons race. They think the asking price is too high. Look, we have, you know, there's no doubt that everything we've heard from Daryl Morey is that he is that kind of character and the asking price will be high. Um, and considering there's probably only two cornerstones that could be thrown into that trade, being Fox or Halliburton and a variety of other offers around it. Maybe Sacramento's decided that they don't like that trade in either regard, or maybe feel like you only want Halliburton or yeah, something like that to the point where it's just soured in the taste of Sacramento. So they've walked away from that. Um, what do you make of that from a Sacramento perspective? And, and do you think that's the right move? I mean, there are reports from one of the more legitimate sources going around in the NBA. I don't reckon they're done yet. Um, I think the asking price is too high. It's just going to really depend on sort of how things look at the deadline. Is Daryl Morey going to budge and slightly come down? I'm not 100% sure. Um, everything that's happened prior to this um, has pointed towards um, the idea that that will not happen and they will not renege on you know, these high demands and the asking price for Simmons. I don't know if it's just a situation they're prepared to willing to continue um, if they want to get some more pieces in who are actually going to help them or not. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I think that Sacramento should, although if they are, you know, completely pulling out of the race, then they do need to still be very active. I think at the trade deadline to start moving some of these other players to get some picks in, to get some younger assets in, to move on from maybe a guy like Rashawn Holmes, a guy like Harrison Barnes, Buddy Hield, all these sort of players, and really go hard um, rather than just sort of hang on to these guys in the hope of maybe pushing towards a playing spot or, you know, just being on that bubble of not quite the worst team in basketball, but also not really rebuilding with any major building box outside of Tyrese Halliburton, outside of Davion Mitchell. I think it's been quite... Uh, he's been pretty good, actually, in the last couple of games. So that's the tricky one for them. If they are really pulling out of Simmons, what's the next move? What happens next? Yeah, I mean, the one thing I will say is, and I don't know if this is posturing like you suggested, um, but is that I, I, as much as I like the idea of Ben Simmons on Sacramento, it, it's not going to work if they trade the farm for him. Um, so if, if yeah. Darren Murray wants fox and halliburton or halliburton and everything else that's worth anything other than fox then it's probably not worth doing that trade um you know so, so to a certain extent it might be a sign of maturity um it also just could be out of pure frustration or it could be posturing um but there are other options there are, there are guys like you know demantis Sabonis that potentially could be available for the kings um that would be a good fit there um so i, I you know i'm happy for that front office to work through all of its various iterations, despite them not making many trades, I think it's it's more important that they make sure to get rid of these veterans first to get some value for them. Um, they can take a little more time to mull over what they want to do with Fox and Halliburton and the like, but at least pull the button, pull the trigger on a few of these veteran trades before the deadline. Yep. 
because um, those are much lower risk. We'll leave it there. We'll come back with scorching, lukewarm or chilly. Uh, and as always, the Avita Zubach Unsung Hero Award. Pacific Post-Ups is closely affiliated with OTG Basketball. They've got a fantastic podcast and YouTube network where you can keep up to date with all things NBA. Make sure you follow them on Twitter and YouTube at OTG Basketball. Back to the show. And we're back with Scorching Lukewarm or Chili, a return for this segment after a couple of weeks off with Tropical Trades. Nick, you've uh, come up with a, a positional concept that uh, some of our fans might enjoy. Yeah, the, the what I've got this week um, centers center around, I think, a, a really important player in the, uh, the Clippers' second unit that I've been um, really glowing about, um, that entire unit, but particularly... Um, with how this guy's gone and, and a bit of a shift in roles, maybe um, we weren't really sure um, how or w- what sort of spot the Clippers would put him in um, when they got him across. But I think that small ball five Justice Winslow might be more useful than the point Winslow that we were maybe promised before. And I think he's going to be a key contributor with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard back in the fold. Um, from a take perspective, it's it's kind of toggling between scorching and lukewarm purely because he was bought in as a almost an additional ball handler and a, a three and D wing. Um, I, I quite like it. Do you uh, have a bit more meat behind that kind of take? Yeah. I mean, the, the tricky thing is with Winslow is that he's kind of always been a little bit of a utility guy to a degree and he's struggled to find his spot uh, in the league. We thought we might've found it as, you know, point Winslow that we saw in Miami uh, for that season in a bit and was really impressive. And that was the type of player that we thought would be a really handy asset going into a young Memphis Grizzlies team that didn't happen. And, you know, Justice Winslow was, was certainly you know, a little bit on the scrap heap a little bit, but like a lot of Clippers players who have come in there and really re- revitalized their careers, his has taken a little bit longer, but I think of late that we've really seen a lot out of Winslow playing as more of a, a small ball five. And that, that's uh, had to do with a, a few injuries and a few players that they've had out um, for the, for Ty Lue's team, you know, naming Nick Batum and Marcus Morris, but Winslow's come off the bench and been really impressive um, over the last week or so, um, you know, against Washington, um, you know, uh, f- four points and uh, six rebounds and four assists, seven points, three assists, eight rebounds against Orlando, had 10 and 10, um, a nice double-double um, with a great performance on the boards against Miami, adding five assists there, and then another eight rebounds and 13 points against Charlotte. And I think that he's a really handy one that, you know, he's 6'6", but has a really good wingspan. I mean, that's always been sort of his, um, one of his more notable athletic traits is that he's got that. Um, but, you know, he's quite strong and, um, and moves quite well and enough to be a really handy switchable defender um, for Tai Lu. Um, and sort of particularly considering the guys that can have around him, whether that's, you know, slotting a little bit more Amir Coffee, you can play him at the four a little bit. Um, if I want to go really super small, but then you're getting guys like Boston out there um, and it can also play along a, a bevy of the other shooting guards that they've got, you know, guys like Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard. So I think that having a guy like this, who's, you know, very much a glue guy, a bit of a Mr. Fix-It gives 
the Clippers a different option that isn't Marcus Morris at the five or Hartenstein or Zubats and, and a Barker, um, but someone who's not needing the ball in his hands too much um, and just can be really handy, I think, on both ends of the floor. Yeah, look, you're probably right that in the iteration of a team that has Kawhi and Paul George, um, his ball handling is a little bit superfluous. Um, and also, when Ty Lue gave him a go doing that at the start of the year, it wasn't really working a lot. Um, yeah. I, I do like in his body type a little bit to what we've discussed a bit with Otto Porter in um, the Bay. Not so much as they're different players, but how as guys come into the league and they fill out a bit more, their, their position scales up a couple of spots. Yep. Uh, and Winslow, you know, having suffered a few injuries, a bit bigger, he's a bit slower now. So it probably actually suits that position pretty well. Uh, it, it's such a difficult idea in, in practice until we see it in you know reality. But I do like the idea as a concept and I'd like to see them make sure he's he's back there so that uh so that he's you know they can have a chance to look at it whether it's this year or next year. So certainly one to ponder for Tyler. What have you got for us this week? Lou, uh, this is a guy that you sort of got mentioned a little bit before as a, a certain trade candidate who hasn't played any basketball this season. Um, but where should he be going? Uh, what have you got for us? Yeah, look, I've just I've reached a point of realization with the Lakers that they have to do something, um, and they can throw Talon Horton, Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, and a 2027 pick at every team around the league, and they'll find not a lot comes back. Although. If I was another team, I'd be strongly considering the value of that 2027 pick. Um, I think it's just time to do that do that trade and make the swap, bring John Wall in, um, see what you can get out of him. Uh, you know, farewell, Russell Westbrook. I don't think the Lakers will cop a lot of flack in the media for that, given he's been somewhat of the, the scapegoat in LA this year. Um, and... Yeah, it, it's time for the Lakers to to move on from Russell Westbrook and, and bring in John Wall uh, in the absence of any other package. Oh, I think it's a pretty easy one to go scorching with this one, Lou. Uh, you know, uh, pulling the plug on the Russell Westbrook experiment has certainly been something that's that's been discussed. Um, why do you think that this particular trade is going to be advantageous for the Lakers? Look, I think anyone, Laker fans, LeBron, maybe everyone other than Westbrook, could sit there hand to heart and say, this current iteration of the Lakers does not look like a championship team. I don't think anyone else is fooling themselves anymore with this. John Wall might be a worse player than Russell Westbrook at this point. He probably on paper is a worse overall player, but I'm pretty sure he's a better fit. Um, He offers a little bit more off ball. Um, He's probably a little bit more likely to try and play some defense. Uh, and I certainly think he fits alongside AD as a pick and roll partner or LeBron. As in those guys can run some screening actions or he can sit in the wing and he, he's actually made a lot more of his catch and shoot threes over his career than what a lot of people give him credit for. He's always been a respectable catch and shoot three point shooter. Um, so I think it's in the case of you've got to try something. Uh, you can't just sit on your hands being a nine seed and this is the only obvious trade. Uh, so I think it's time to pull the trigger. Yeah, I think I like the fit a little bit more of yeah John Wall in in the in the Lakers uniform and then how Russ has gone. Just going to be really interesting to see how it goes since it's been quite a bit of time since he's played. Um, it would be a big, it would be I think a risky move. Uh, I'd be interested to see if the, I mean, 
what the Lakers could do to potentially make that deal a little bit larger and maybe get in some other players and ship anybody else across. I'm not sure if um, what sort of that deal would maybe look like um, just around the edges. You know, we sort of talked about a little bit of maybe THT heading across to someone like Houston and then maybe getting that Eric Gordon um, type player back in the deal. Um, it would, it would be, TH, it'd be THT, Kendrick Nunn would get, us, get you there from a salary perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, it'd be handy if they could get another player, um, another wing sort of um, back. Um, but, yeah, I think that it is sort of getting to the stage where you can't sort of rely on this team maybe working it out, even though they haven't been able to play together a hell of a lot. Um, and it might be, you know, it might be drastic, but it, it could be worth a move. So um, I think that'll be an interesting one to watch at the deadline to see exactly what Rob Palinka and the Lakers do with Russell Westbrook. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I no doubt we'll see some sort of movement out of LA um, over the next couple of days and week um, as we lead into this trade deadline. Uh, our boy, Avica Zubac, is out at the moment for the Clippers, but it doesn't mean his award sits on the sidelines. Uh, who do you have as our unsung hero of the week? Yeah, this is a guy who kind of really surprised me out of nowhere um, for the Phoenix Suns, you know, just a, another evidence of next man up um, for Monty Williams and it's uh, Ish uh, Wainwright um, for the Suns who's getting my Avica Zubats award for this week. Um, someone's really impressed me and again, um, sort of in the the absence of DeAndre Ayton, they've had some other bigs miss games. Um, obviously, Dario Saric being out um, at the moment as well has meant that, you know, different guys are going to get called upon. Um, this is a guy, Wayne Wright sort of played some junk times throughout the season, but really in the in the last probably week or so, he's had to play um, a, a fair bit um, more um, uh, than, than expected, sort of um, outside of a game against San Antonio, 15 minutes against uh, Detroit, 10 minutes against... Um, 22 minutes combined against those two games against the Jazz, 10 minutes against Minnesota. But the big game really was against San Antonio um, where he played 20 minutes and played really the uh, the latter half of the third quarter and played the entire fourth quarter um, as a small ball five um, for, for Phoenix. You know, he's a guy who's um, only six foot five, but um, he's built like a brick, you know, what house um, and is very, very... Um, switchable um, as a defender, um, stay with guys on pick and rolls and on, on switches when, you know, quicker guards are get shifted out to him and um, was able to move his feet really well and stay with guys, block shots. And then add in as well that he's got a pretty decent three-point shot as well. Um, you know, it was four of eight from the floor um, um, with 10 points in that game against the Spurs and two or three from deep, um, two rebounds, a couple of blocks and a steal and an assist as well. Um, giving Phoenix a very, very different look that they kind of don't have um, uh, at, at that small ball center spot that, you know, sort of Saric played a little bit, um, played quite well last season, um, you know, obviously shorter than Dario, but um, someone who's a, offers something different to JaVale, um, Bismack and uh, DeAndre at the five. So um, Ish Wainwright could be a player who gets a few more minutes uh, heading into the postseason. Who knows if they got to sign him though. That's the thing. Yeah, look, shout out to a guy that's been a journeyman, um, attempted a career as a as a tight end um, in the NFL as well. He's been over to Germany. Um, he was playing with the Raptors earlier. So uh, he is the definition of an unsung hero. And you're like, look, you're right. His spot with Phoenix isn't guaranteed. 
in the postseason. But if he makes the most of this, it, it might give him another opportunity to pop up somewhere else. And, you know, hey, at, at 27 years old, he's probably physically ready for the the punishment of, a, of an NBA playoff run. The question is, will he be schematically ready? Um, but fingers crossed he is because um, that's a pretty likable story from, uh, from Ish Wainwright. So I've got a man that we've actually talked about a fair bit, uh, but has yet to reach his first nomination for the uh, Unsung Hero of the Week award, and that is our boy Bismack Biombo. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I, I need to spend too much time outlining his case. Um, he has just stepped in and looked like a totally different player. Um, yeah, we talked about playing alongside Chris Paul. We've talked about the fact that he's now in a backup role as opposed to a starting role. Um, and yeah, I think Bismack Biombo has been really fantastic since joining the Phoenix Suns. Um, you know, he's put up double digits in each of his last five games. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot to like about it. He's rolling to the rim hard. He's uh, certainly rebounding. He's got a double-double in four of his last five. Um, you know, he's looking a bit rejuvenated as well. Um, and so I think it's time he got his shout out for what's been a, a great comeback to the NBA. Yeah, he's been really good. It's an awesome shouting as well that, you know, as much as he's had to, you know, sort of bide his time and get back into things that he's played some pretty major minutes in the last sort of week or so, you know, um, clocking over 30 minutes twice against Indiana and Utah and 29 minutes in that second game against the Jazz and 29 minutes against the T-Wolves. Like, he's having to play significantly larger minutes than I thought that he would need to play, but, you know, it's... Very much, you know, part of Monty Williams' setup is that, you know, if you're ready to go, you're ready to go. And um, they've trusted him to play some big minutes. And, yeah, I, I wasn't sure I would be seeing Bismack Biombo stay out on the floor that long in an NBA game uh, in 2022. But uh, here we are, and he's, he's thriving. So good on you, Bismack. Yeah, well, always good to see a veteran get dusted off there. So that's all we've got this week uh, on the Pacific Post-Ups. We'll be back. Fingers crossed at this regular time next week. Although, as Nick mentioned, there's a, always one curveball in the pipeline. But um, until then, listeners, it's been a pleasure as always, and we'll be in touch again next week. See you then.